Morning America. Thank you for listening to American Dispatches once again. I'm your host, Vic. Traveled to 105 countries, hold a BA in international relations, an NBA, been a contributor to Soldier and Fortune magazine, and all this was in the pursuit of knowledge and American stories worth telling. That is what we try to bring you here every day. Today you're listening to episode two. Here's some stuff you need to know. February 20th, 2021. We're going to discuss the U.S. government's reinstatement into the Paris Climate Agreement and take some callers. Then we're going to cover some of the most impactful and interesting news of our day. Bad day to be a pirate as the U.S. Navy seizes a massive cache of weapons off the coast of Somalia. France moves closer to passing a major bill on, quote, Islamic separatism. South Korea wins our coveted Kawing Eagle Award for sending out millions of COVID masks to Korean war vets from 22 countries. All this and more, let's get into it. Biden administration puts us back into the Paris Climate Agreement. It's a pretty controversial subject. So real quick, let's go over the facts. That was established in December 2015, put into effect November 2016. It was signed by 195 countries. What's the aim of it? Paris Climate Agreement aims to reduce the emission of gases that contribute to global warming, specifically to keep temperatures from rising more than 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit beyond what was benchmarked before the Industrial Revolution. Now, how they managed to take that into effect, countries basically commit themselves to reducing their carbon footprint. This is an extension of the Kyoto Protocol that was signed in 1997. Back then, China was still defined as a developing country and was not basically held to account. So the U.S., by extension, did not participate either. Those two countries included over 40% of the world's emissions, so the Kyoto Protocol was seen as largely symbolic, not much else. Paris Agreement has also been seen as symbolic as well, although there is more enforcement. So the results been of the agreements thus far since taking effect in 2016 have been mixed. The U- presidential uh, administration of Donald Trump didn't actually formally withdraw until November 4th, 2020. China states they have reduced their carbon footprint, but it is largely unclear if that's true. Some European nations have made significant headways while others have not. And in the U.S., some areas of the country seem to have been able to reduce it, while others have not. So, mixed bag, as we're now reinstated to the Paris Agreement, it's unclear with the Biden administration what quotas the Biden administration is going to hold us to. So, with that as the background, we're going to take some callers today. First caller, we have Leaf calling from the Pacific Northwest. Leaf, you're on. Yes, hello. I think this is just the greatest thing ever because it will ensure a healthier climate for generations to come. What about the lack of enforcement? Do you think China or India will keep up with their end of the bargains? Yes, especially China because China basically has the world's largest government and governments don't lie. Okay, well what about the cost to American jobs, especially in the coal and gas sector? They can get jobs elsewhere. I mean, I work at a basket weaving co-op. They can do something like that, create their own co-op. Uh, okay, well, the, the phones are hot now. we got another caller. Caller, what's your name? Hi, I'm Buck from West Virginia. What do you think about the Paris Agreement? I think the COPT-21, as it is otherwise called, is a great idea and a natural extension of the Kyoto Protocol. Y- you do? Hell no. It is going to cost me and my neighbors their jobs and livelihoods. An entire way of life, coal for over 300 years, has shaped our state, and it's going to be wiped out overnight. Do you think... We should just carry on the way we are as it destroys the planet for future generations. How about staying competitive with the rest of the world uh, as other industrialized economies shift to greener energy sources? Man, I don't care about much about the rest of the world 
or people who ain't even born yet, if I can't feed my kids or also buy a sick-ass SS Camaro, I mean, come on, let's be honest. It's a badass car. What about Leaf's suggestion of working in a basket-weaving co-op? Hey, can basket-weave these nuts? All right, this is uh, getting heated. Seems like we have some very sharply contrasting opinions here, and apparently a very wide listener base as well. Well, time for one more caller as we wind up this subject. We're taking caller, uh, a gentleman referring to himself as the radical moderate from somewhere in the middle of the country. Caller, you're on. Yeah, I was listening to those first two callers, and I think they're both wrong. How so? You can be concerned about the environment and American jobs at the same time. Also, as long as I've been alive, America has been a leader in the world in so many important things like global security, medical R&D, and hamburger development. It makes sense for us to also have a leading role in this arena as well. What would you suggest about American jobs? We need to ask smarter questions about American jobs. It doesn't have to be an either-or all-some scenario. So coal miners should become basket weavers? No, but a heck of a lot more resources should be spent on transitioning predominantly rural parts of the country. They're going to be the most hard-hit. We shouldn't just force them into complying by killing those jobs. We should also spend federal resources at helping those areas. I mean, if the U.S. can spend billions of dollars in foreign aid and on programs like the impact cocaine has on the sexual effects of quails, that is a true story you can look it up, then it can also put a plan in place to help those rural areas transition more effectively so callers like Buck aren't of the most impacted. Well, there you have it, folks. One controversial issue, three completely different opinions. Now let's get to the news. On to Francais. The government there is one step closer to passing what's being called an Islamic separatism bill. First quick background, France has Europe's largest Muslim population. About 5.7 million Muslims live in France, many of whom are foreign-born, and they've been suffering from a pretty long-standing history of sporadic attacks by extremists. Most recently, just a few months ago, a school teacher was beheaded by an extremist and then followed up a few weeks later by a Tunisian man who stabbed three people at a church. So the move has passed the lower houses of parliament. Now it's onto the Senate. And basically, it's going to impact not just Islamic extremism, but extremism in general, although many of the nuances of the bill seem to be targeted more towards the Muslim extremism within France. It includes... Things like uh, religious institutions need to declare foreign funding of more than $12,000. It will make it a criminal offense for anyone to threaten harm to a civil servant, punishable by up to uh, $75,000 in fines or three years in jail. That's been a huge problem, especially on social media, where civil servants in France are being basically threatened. Homeschooling has to be improved by the government. Doctors now can be fined over $12,000 for providing what's being called virginity certificates. Uh, that's interesting. Known polygamy can now cost a migrant their ability to become a naturalized citizen. And it also allows for additional oversight of athletic organizations and other programs that are seen as uh, hotbeds, in some cases, for extremism. So we'll be following that. It is kind of an interesting precedent. France has been struck in recent years by, as I mentioned, some pretty violent extremism. So see if this bill has any kind of effect on that. It is obviously being argued against passionately by not just Muslims, by some, but but I also some left-leaning politicians. All right, on to the east coast of Africa, where the U.S. Navy has seized a large cache of weapons being smuggled by between two ships off the coast of Somalia, among the arms seized by the guided missile destroyer 
the USS Winston Churchill. There were thousands of uh, Kalashnikov rifles, light machine guns, heavy sniper rifles, and rocket-propelled grenade launchers. So a hit to pirates and and also possibly terrorist groups operating in the region. Now, the Navy released a statement from the Bahrain-based 5th Fleet, but did not um, explicitly identify the source of the smuggle weapons. So another victory for the good guys. Lastly, on to South Korea, home of kimchi, where the South Korean government, in a goodwill gesture, has provided over 2 million face masks to international veterans of the 1950-1953 Korean War, uh, seen as an expression of gratitude. These masks were sent to veterans of the U.S., as well as 21 other participating nations in the Korean conflict, including Canada, Britain, Colombia, South Africa, and others. Additionally, this is interesting, The ministry also sent out 30,000 face masks to 550 surviving independent fighters and their families living overseas to thank them for the role in the country's liberation from the 1910 to 1945 Japanese colonial rule. Good on South Korea. They've won our Cawing Eagle Award for doing something awesome and badass today. That's all we have for today, folks. As always, the world is an exciting, badass place. Stay informed. You can do so by tuning in here on Apple or the Google Play Store. Until next time, vaya con Dios, América.